This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Stay tuned and visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org. Welcome again to all our guests, and we are glad that you're here with us today. Uh, we are in uh, the right th- in the very um, middle of a series that we're doing in Romans chapter 5, 6, 7, and 8. If you have a Bible and you want to turn to Romans uh, chapter 6, you're welcome to do that. And if your eyes are good enough that you can see the words, that's even better, because it's kind of dark in here. Um, but we will have all the scriptures up on the screen that we're going to be reading this morning as well. If you uh, want, if you're our guest and maybe you haven't been here up till today and maybe you won't be back after today, we have a lot of folks on vacation, and you want to hear this series in its entirety, you can go to our podcast, and uh, hopefully this week it'll all be caught up, and you can um, just start listening there, download it to your iPod, take it with you to work, whatever you want to do, and you go to our website and find that. Uh, just for us, for the sake of those and all the rest of us to be reminded, let me do just a little bit of review over the last three weeks that will help us with today's passage here in Romans chapter 6. Several things. One thing is this uh, that we've learned. And we started this in chapter 1. We talked about good news, bad news, good news. If you were here, you remember that. The good news is that God loves us so much that he gave his only son Jesus to live, to die, to be buried, and then to resurrect so that we could become his children. That's, that's the very best news. Paul followed that up, however, in the latter part of chapter 1 and in chapter 2 with the bad news. The bad news is the reason that we need the good news, and the bad news is that without Jesus Christ as Savior, you and I are hopelessly and helplessly lost and doomed with eternal death. But then Paul said, but don't want to leave you hanging there. There is good news, just to remind you. And the good news came back that the fact that because of Jesus, death can be overcome when we put our faith and trust in him as Savior. And then he said all those who put their faith and trust in Christ receive some awesome benefits. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the benefit package that we receive when we become children of God through Jesus Christ. We're removed, he said, from from being helpless to becoming forgiven. And we have peace with God. Even through all the trials that we may go through life, he's there to go through them with us. He told us that all of us start out in life with an inherited sin nature. It isn't anything that, that, that is necessarily our fault that we inherit that sin. It comes from our forefather, Adam, is passed down from Adam who committed the first sin and his one act of disobedience ruined it for everyone. And then last week we talked about fairness, how that we always say, well, that's not fair. I didn't choose that for myself. Someone else chose it for me. But the reality is, even though I've been given that sin nature, I make the choices every day in my life whether or not I'm going to follow that or not, whether I'm going to do that. And so it, it's, it, it is fair if that is Adam's sin, but it's also mine that death passed upon me as well because God is always consistently fair. But Jesus, we saw last Sunday, made it possible for you and I, who were in Adam, to be given a new nature and now to be standing in him, in Jesus Christ, to be given a new start, which makes us heirs to all that he inherits from his father. His one act, Paul said, 
His one act of obedience by going to the cross and dying for our sin overcame the one act that Adam had committed so long ago in committing sin and disobeying God that spread to all of us. His one act of obedience made it possible, Jesus did, for all to have eternal life. Now, whether you know it or not, and we talked about this some last Sunday, the last three weeks have been covering the basics of, of the theology of salvation. Now, there's a growing fad among churches these days to downplay theology. In fact, one guy who's a pastor, and he's one of these guys that a lot of people are looking to because he's in a moving and shaking church and growing church and kind of one of the cool dudes out there in the pastor scene. Can pastors be cool? And uh, we try. We wear shirts like this. And he was one of the, you know, he... He, one guy even says, this fellow said, and we read something about him recently, just the other day in our staff meeting, he said, he said you know, the other pastors, hey, he said, just ignore theology and just learn about Christ. And that sounds so neat and that sounds so simple, but let me just say, guess what learning about Christ is? <laughs> Y'all are smart. <laughs> you can't understand Jesus You can't without gaining some knowledge of God, and knowledge about God is theology, the study of God. But let me say this, we're not here to have a theology class. This is not seminary. And theology is a waste of time, and it's a waste of breath if it doesn't say something about my life and about my attitudes. If theology is just some some academic thing where I'm taking notes so I can pass a test and I have all the answers up here, but there's no power behind it in my life, it's a waste. So please understand, theology is a great thing, but the purpose of it is to motivate my life to follow Jesus and to become like him. The truth of the gospel does change lives. And so now as we move into chapter 6, Paul's going to give us the insight on how this new life can be lived out in us. That was a question we asked at the very beginning of the series. Okay, so here's Christianity, and here's Jesus, and here's salvation. How does that play out in my life every single day? It's great to know that my status with God has been changed from sinner to righteous because of Jesus. It's great to know that that now, because of Jesus, I can have peace with God. It's great to know that because of my relationship with Jesus Christ, that God has poured out his spirit into my life. It's great to know that I've been forgiven. It's awesome to know that in God's eyes, you and I who are believers in Jesus have been pronounced not guilty before God. But being right with God, church, has to result in something I can put my hands on. Being right with God is intended to put my life on the right path right here and right now. If you were here last summer, you might remember uh, last summer that Matt Glock, Matt's one of our missionaries, he's in France, and he and I, he was here for a number of weeks, and we did a team teaching, a tag team thing on holiness for about four weeks. And holiness is that process whereby God moves us through from the old life that we live before we knew him to this new life that he's opened up to us. And so from here on out, beginning here in chapter 6, verse 1, what Paul does as we go through chapter 8, 
Paul still talks theology. It just becomes very practical theology. It becomes living what we believe theology and how to do that. And the main thing, and you have, uh, if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. The main thing that Paul says about living the life Christ has given us is for you and I to understand that the old you, the old me, is dead. Is dead. Look at verse 1. Verses 1 and 2. Romans chapter 6. What should we say then? Now, he's backing up and finishing going back to what he said in chapter 5. And keep in mind, when these guys wrote these letters to the churches and the Bible was written, they didn't put chapters and verse numbers in, all right? Those were put in by the people who assembled all this and put it together so we could have an easy way to find it. But what should we say then? Let me back up. So that grace, just as sin reigned in death, also grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And he talked about the grace that God gives us to overcome our sin. So how do we respond to that? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? You know, when, when you say that God's response to our sin was to give grace to us, somebody's going to get really smart and say, well then, if God responds to sin by giving me grace, then I ought to sin more so God can give me more grace. Doesn't it work that way? Isn't it how it should be? Somebody was thinking that way, and Paul's thinking as he's writing this, and the Holy Spirit's directing him as he's writing this. Somebody's going to think about that, Paul, so you need to give them an answer. It must have happened, you know, that, that God did all this, so how should I, how should I respond? And, and so Paul knew, i got to answer that, and so Paul's answer here is absolutely not. Can I paraphrase that for you? That's so dumb. That's what Paul said. How can you think that way? Inconceivable. <laughs> Sam, uh, Sam Knight was telling me yesterday, and I think it's Stott who commented about sin in the Christian's life, and he made, I'm going to try to quote it as Sam told me, but he said, Stott said that um, for Christians to sin is not impossible. For Christians to live in sin is inconceivable. And Paul's going to explain to us why that is right now. Absolutely not. It's very, in the Greek language, it is, it's very, in the tense, it's very emphatic. If Paul was posting this on Facebook, it would be in all caps. Absolutely not. No, never, is what he's saying. Why not? He said, how can we do that? Because you and I have died to sin. How can we continue to live in something when we are dead to it? Does that make any sense? So that's why he says, no, you can't. So now we're thinking... We're dead to it. How do we die to sin? Okay, when did I die? And we've th- we got to think that thought. Okay, when did I die? And, and I know what some of you are thinking. I must have died the moment that I believed in Jesus Christ as my Savior. And while that's a good answer, it's not correct. Now let's wait a little bit deep here, right? Put your flood pants on. That's not correct. The answer is, and jot this down in your notes, you died to sin when Christ was crucified. 
You died to sin when Jesus was crucified. That is what we might define as a historical theological fact. I died to Christ when Jesus died, when he was crucified. Now, wait a second, Rick. That was over 2,000 years ago. You know, I've only, you know, I've only been born in, within the last century. How could that happen? How could that be? So let's jump for a minute down to verses 6 and 7, and then we'll back up to verses 3, 4, and 5 in just a minute. Verses 6 and 7 says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him. When Jesus was nailed to the cross, Paul says, Our old self, that person who was in Adam, was crucified on the cross with Jesus in order that sin's dominion over the body may be abolished, so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin, since a person who has died is freed from sin's claim. That's what happened way back then on the cross. Who you were before trusting Christ with all your habits. Anybody got habits here today? I mean, maybe not good habits and bad habits. With all of your flaws with all of your addictions, with all of your prejudices, with all that sinful you, all of it died on the cross with Jesus. That is how God Almighty sees us who are believers. He sees that old person, that old man, if you will, the old sinful you as being dead on the cross. And that's why when you think back to the cross and you're familiar with the story when Jesus was crucified and those words that he cried out to his father, my God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? Why have you turned your back on me? The reason that God turned his back on his son on the cross was because his, his son was bearing your sin was taking your sin upon himself, and God cannot look at sin. So God rejected. God turned his back. He forsook. He abandoned Jesus on the cross. It was because our sins were put on him. And what happened to Jesus as he was hanging on the cross? He died. And with him, we who used to be, or who we used to be, died with him as well. Now, a lot of you are saying, I didn't know that. Well, it's good that you do now. I'm glad that you do. It's so important that you know that. Why? Because Paul writes that with your death on the cross, in Christ, you were freed. That's why we sang that first song this morning, I am free. You were freed from the power of sin in your life. Now look at verses 8 and 9 with me. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, no longer dies. Death no longer rules over him. Now that word, if there in verse 8, is a Greek word that can also be translated since. Now, Paul's talking here to, to Christian people who have believed in Jesus Christ. So we know that it's not an if. He knows they have. So a better translation there is since. Since we died with Christ. If you're a believer in Christ, that's true. You died with Christ. He's already told us that. And he's saying to us, but when Christ died on the cross, Christ didn't stay dead, did he? 
And the answer is no. Pulled down from the cross, he was put in a tomb where his corpse lay for three days. And then on the third day, we call it Easter. His body was made alive again by God and he was resurrected. He came back from the dead. So here's what that means. Because you put your faith in him and what he did on the cross, listen now, because you did that, whenever you did that, by the way, I did that, I need to share this. Yesterday, July 31st, was my 44th birthday as a Christian. Because on July 31st, 1966, I was a 10-year-old boy. I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. At that moment, I was experiencing what had happened, that died with Christ. The old you, I I understand that now. But God has also given you, Paul says, a new life and raised a new you from the grave with Christ. You're now alive in Christ. You're not dead anymore. And and here's the great thing, what I want us to get this morning. You don't, and some people think, uh, you know, kind of just going through life, just kind of biding time for heaven when the eternal life starts. No. Eternal life started for me on July 31st, 1966. That's when I trusted Christ. You don't have to wait for heaven for his life to be your life. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, read that with me. Let's read it aloud together. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it in abundance. I want them to have life and I want it to have, I want them to have life in abundance. Paul said it this way. Let's read this one together. Galatians 2.20. What a great verse. Paul said, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This life I live when? When I get to the sweet by and by? No, this life that I live right now, he said. This abundant life is supposed to be flowing through me today. And and tomorrow, it's Monday. Every day. Now, Back up to verses 3, 4, and 5, Paul says, here's a great visual picture of it. Baptism is a great visual of how the gospel works in us. If you go back to verses 3, 4, and 5, follow with me while I read. He says, or are you unaware? Maybe you don't know this, Roman church. Maybe you don't know this, Nag said church, but are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we, so we too may walk in a new way of life. For if we have been joined with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection." He said, just as we were baptized into Christ. Now, being baptized, I want you to follow, listen to me very carefully. When he says here, when you were baptized into Christ, he wasn't talking about when you went into some water and were baptized. That's not what he's referring to. When I was baptized in water, I was baptized in water. He says, when you were baptized into Christ. So he's talking about something different, using the same terminology. If you think back to last week, Paul is referring in in real time to the moment here when you were baptized into Christ, 
that moment when you were transformed from being an Adam, we were all born with our sin nature, when you were transformed from being an Adam to being in Christ, that's the new birth several weeks ago. Nine folks in our two gatherings went from Adam to Christ by believing in Christ. That's when they were baptized into Christ. But he says there's a picture of it here. So when you trusted Christ as your Savior, by the way, the word baptism comes from a Greek word that means immersed. That means you're totally enveloped in whatever you're baptized into. And so when you, you know, if you, I, I like to, um, I like to eat um, fried soft-shell crabs. Anybody else with me? And the best way to cook them is to baptize them in some kind of oil. All right? All right? I mean, that's what the word means. You get that fried daddy out or whatever that thing is, and you, you coat them with uh, coating, Austin seafood coating. Um, Tanisha's commenting back here. She's, mm-hmm. And, uh, and, uh, and, you, and, you, and you just drop that crab into that, you baptize it into that oil, right? To be totally enveloped, to be immer- immersed into whatever it is that you're being baptized into. So when we were baptized into Christ, we were being totally immersed in who? In Jesus. We are in Christ, totally enveloped by him. That, that's why that is such an eternally secure place to be. In fact, it helps me to picture it as being, for me to be, this, this idea of being placed in an envelope and, and you know, God take, took the envelope as Jesus and God put me in this envelope and, and then God sealed the envelope and he wrote on the address for, of the envelope, heaven. And Paul wrote that the seal of the envelope, what holds the envelope closed so it cannot be opened, is the Holy Spirit. And the envelope can't be opened until, Paul said, the day of redemption when you get there. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in him, when you believed, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So it's no accident that here Paul uses the word baptized because that's the act of following Christ in baptism. And it is the, it's the great visual picture of what's happened. So we are baptized to visually demonstrate what has happened to us in being placed into Christ. And you think about it for a moment. The only method of baptism that can adequately picture a death and a burial and a resurrection is immersion. Going into the water and being raised up out of it. So when you obey Christ's command to be baptized... After you believe, you are saying to all those who there are, are there to witness, all those who are there to watch, the old, here's what you're saying, the old me died with Christ and he has raised me up to live a new life. And that's why we believe baptism is your public profession of your faith. And until a believer, listen now, until a believer takes that step of baptism, he or she can't truly start following Christ as a disciple. Really, yeah, that's what the Bible says. It says that he told his disciples to go in Matthew 28, 19. He said, go into all the world and make disciples, starting with what? Baptizing them. Baptizing them. There is never, by the way, an example 
or the idea in the New Testament that someone would believe in Jesus and not be baptized because of what baptism symbolizes, because of what it means. A couple of Sundays ago, a dozen believers here did just that. What a great time of celebrating uh, to see people who have put their faith and trust in Jesus and have been moved from death to life then go out in a public place like that. And, and by the way, there was a big crowd. There weren't just folks from church. There were people there on the beach saying, what's going on? And uh, to say, we're alive in Jesus. And there's more. And that is every time we witness a believer being baptized, like we just did, like we did that Sunday afternoon, it reminds the rest of us that one day we're going to be resurrected from the grave as Christ was. To the Thessalonian church, Paul described it as a moment. Still future, has not happened yet. When he said, in the twinkling of an eye, the graves of all Christians who have died will open, and in the moment, just a moment, in a transformation will be raised from the dead with a new body and transported to heaven. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Paul wrote, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the the archangel's voice and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then those who are still alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Baptism reminds us that that day is coming. Our salvation experience when we come to life in Christ is a one-time event. It's not something that you have to repeat every day or every Sunday or repeat every time you commit a sin. It's not like I gotta get reborn over again. You don't. It's a one-time happening. And we'll talk more about that later in our series. But Paul said that Jesus only died once. And he said that death that he died that one time was once and for all. All the world that God loves And once for all time, it's a non-repeatable event. Look with me at verse 10. Paul goes on and he says, For in that he died, he died to sin once for all. But in that he lives, he lives to God. Remember one of the things, another, another thing that Jesus said on the cross? In fact, the last, I think the last words that he uttered as he was dying on the cross were those words, it is finished. It is finished. And the idea that some churches and some people have that somehow in communion the bread becomes his body and the wine becomes his blood so that he, in their thinking, is crucified afresh every single week for our sins is so wrong. It's not in the scriptures. In fact, it's very much against what Paul says here. When we have communion, we are not re-crucifying Christ. Please understand that. That only happened once. I don't ever want to ever think of that ever happening again because it doesn't have to. The bread and the wine are simply like baptism for those of us who have already received Christ. It's a reminder of what happened once and for all on the cross. Now, here comes the practical part. 
And oftentimes, if you don't know much about the Bible and about what God's Word says, oftentimes, for me anyway, the practical part is the tough part. You know, I can swallow the theology stuff, you know. But when it gets practical and starts messing with my life, that's when it becomes the tough part. Because it says here it's all about having a new attitude and new choices that come with this new life. Verses 11 through 14. Follow this. So, because you have died in Christ, because baptism symbolizes what happened to you, that you were buried with him and you were raised again to new life, so, because Jesus died one time, once for all, so, what do I do? You too consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, because you think that way, because your mind has changed to understand I'm a dead person, who I used to be is now dead. I'm now alive in Jesus. Therefore, because of that, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. All of us have one of those. Tap yourself somewhere. You know, this is my mortal body. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. And do not offer any parts of it, this mortal body, to sin as weapons for unrighteousness, but as those who are alive from the dead offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves, head and shoulders, knees and toes, all right, all for Jesus. We used to sing that song in Vacation Bible School back in the day. Offer all of those parts, yourselves, all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will, get this, write this somewhere down in your notes, sin will not rule over me. Do you see what he says there? Why? Because you're not under law, but under grace. What's he saying there? Let me wrap this up with the practical stuff. And then he's going to continue this next week. So you need to come back next Sunday. And then the following Sunday after that, when Paul gets into chapter 7 and exposes himself and becomes so transparent, that's when it's all going to begin to click for us. What does it mean, this new life, living in this new life? What does it mean? First of all, Paul says here, it means thinking with the right attitude. So, Consider yourselves dead to sin. That's a mental thing. Think this way. To consider yourself means how I think about myself. And Paul says, consider your old self to be dead. Now let me ask you a question. Other than smell bad and then disintegrate, what can dead men do? Nothing. Nothing. Instead, he says, consider yourself alive for God in Christ. Paul would write later to another church. He said, this is how I apply this. Paul said, I die daily. What was he saying? Every day when I get up in the morning, I remind myself the old Paul was crucified on the cross with Christ. I don't live that life anymore. It's gone. I've been, I've been made new. Thinking with the right attitude. But please understand, this is not a theology of positive thinking. All right? This is reality here. You died with Christ. 
Consider yourself dead. Consider yourself alive. And then he says, not only thinking with the right attitude, but refusing to give control to a dead man. I will not allow it. He's dead. But guess what? Just because he's dead, he's dead, but he's still hanging around, smelling up the place, and he wants to smell up your life, and he wants you to live like you're still the old you. So it's got to be an intentional action on your part to say no to the old sinful desires. And you need to remember, church, that Jesus freed you. He died to free you from that. And the parts here that he said, and what we said were parts he's talking about, our physical bodies, our eyes, our ears, our mouths. Our words can be so non-Christian. Wrong sexual desires, addictive desires that the physical body craves. Only the Christian can say no to those things. But please understand, just say no isn't enough. And unlike your new birth, this idea of saying no, of refusing to give control to a dead man, I was saved when the moment I trusted Christ as my Savior, a one-time forever act. But this thing here, saying no to the dead man, is an ongoing, repeated, as often as necessary experience in my life. No, I won't go there. No, I won't think that. No, I won't do that. No, I won't participate. I've been freed from that. That's dead. I have to remind myself of that. So if I refuse to give my control to the dead man, what do I do? Paul says, give control of your life to God as his weapon for righteousness against evil. It's not just saying no, it's saying yes as well to God. We've got some guys around here in our church who are black belts in one form or another of martial arts. Their bodies are lethal weapons. Well, God says this about you and me. He wants to use the new you. And he wants to use the changes that he wants to make in your glory, in your life for his glory. And, and this is also ongoing. And he says, I want to use your life. I want to use your body as a lethal weapon for righteousness, to bring glory to me, to point people to me, to demonstrate what it means to be alive in Jesus Christ. Ongoing, so it doesn't hurt it to say every day. Just like Paul said, every day I die daily. It doesn't hurt to say every day, Lord, today as I rise and I begin this day, I give control of my life, all of me, over to you. Not a bad habit to get into. But it's not just words. Please don't think I'm saying just say the words and it happens like magic. It's a commitment. Refusing to give control to a dead man, thinking with the right attitude, giving control of your life to God as his weapon for righteousness against evil. And then Paul says you have to do one more thing. Living the new life means believing that God's promises and God's grace are the power in your life to live in Christ. Because you can't do it on your own. You're not that strong. You're not that tough. You're not that able. But when we rely and trust in him, when we give control over to him, when we believe his word, the Bible says, 
And some of you are experiencing that, so especially those of you who are new believers, you're experiencing that, that you are being totally blown away by the changes for good that he is making in you as you see the old ways, the old life, the old desires being transformed into the new creation that God has given you life to be. I want you to pray with me right now. Would you bow your head? Let me ask you a question with your head bowed and your eyes closed for a moment. Are you someone who has been made, who has been made alive by Christ, yet you continue to live the old life? You continue to go back and do the old things and you're struggling with getting away from that, it seems like. You know, I, I just can't say, I, 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 I just can't help it. Well, you're not alone. There's lots of us in this room who would say that's me. But God says, yes, you can help it. But you have to give up control and give it to me. You have to consider the old you and all those old wrong passions and desires and habits and attitudes. You have to consider them as dead. You have to see those things. Picture that sin, that habit, that life, that attitude, those words. You just picture those things as being laid upon Jesus' shoulders as he died on the cross. But then also see yourself as a new person in Christ right now. Consider yourself new. Why? Why wait? Why wait to heaven for your life to be rid of all that junk? Jesus said, I want you to live this new life right now, and you can. Heavenly Father, we all, Every single one of us battle with some things that are holdovers from the old life, leftovers, stragglers, things that still want to grab a hold of us and, and, and slow us down and become part of us again. All of us do. doesn't excuse it, however, because you've said, Lord, you're free from that. Consider that dead. So help us to realize, God, that we have no excuses for the habits. We have no excuses for the wrong actions, the wrongs, wrong attitudes, the wrong environment that maybe we hang out in. We have no excuse at all because you've given us your grace. You've given us your spirit to empower us to overcome all that. See, help us, God, this morning to see ourselves, the old us, as dead and to see ourselves as alive in you resurrected, raised again to walk in newness of life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org.